you're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome, folks. You've got me, it's Rich, and I've got a Henry with me, of course. Hello, Rich. Yeah, hello. I'm here again, as usual. <laughs> Still here. Always. Always here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We are sadly not in person this time. This is on online-y recording-y stuff, but it's uh, it's always nice to see your face. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a 2D version of you rather than the 3D one, and... Uh, <laughs> And we're both drinking water. I know. Is, uh... It does feel like we get much more boozy when we're in person. Yeah, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. Socialness is uh, is easier done when it's uh, in the same room. So, yes, so we're remote, but we're coming together to talk about quite a big album. On, on, the, on the list of influential and groundbreaking albums, this is quite high up that list. It's. I would say it's pretty high up the list. I mean, certainly the scene it came from invented reinvented some sounds that maybe people hadn't really heard before yeah so it's your album uh why don't you introduce the album and the band yeah so i've picked massive attacks mezzanine which i now get shouted at for because a lot of people will pick blue lines or protection over this album but for me it's the one that really grabbed my attention probably the first thing i'd ever heard from from trip hop from that bristol sound scene that was going on in the 90s yeah i I don't think you'd get shouted at for that i mean i think people some people might have an opinion on the other ones but but mezzanine is such a good album that it's tough to fight it right it's it's absolutely incredible and i mean i like blue lines and i like protection i think they're great albums but i do wonder whether it's as much of a, a much of a thing of just when you hear a sound for the first time and it just blows you away hearing other versions of that sound will just not captivate you in quite the same way even if they're maybe better yeah exactly although i don't think many will be better than this no i don't think so so how about um we have a chat about the band and then the massive attack sound which kind of changes so we could maybe go into some of the backstory as well yeah well there's some interesting stuff particularly that surrounds this album so i think we'll dive in on some of that massive attack as i guess they're a collective more than they are a band so they're an english trip-hop collective they've formed in 1988 in bristol by robert del naya aka 3d Adrian Thors, aka Tricky. You might have heard of him. Yep, I think most people have. Adrian Voles, aka Mushroom, and Grant Marshall, aka Daddy G. The group initially met as part of Bristol based collective The Wild Bunch, who was sort of this Bristol scene group that had the ability to do DJing and they had an incredible sound system and was sort of part of that 80s warehouse party scene type thing i guess we're not going to go into the bristol sound and the bristol scene that much on this podcast because honestly i'm not an expert i didn't live through it i've just enjoyed albums that have spun off collectives that are part of it i don't know whether you were you know you were more in the southwest but i'm guessing you were too young for this stuff as well yeah i mean it was talked about obviously bands like portisheads are floating around at the same time and you know we've mentioned them before but the actual Bristol scene, no, it, it wasn't a, a thing. I, I wasn't uh, wasn't involved. I mean, it was, it was what? Because this was late 80s, really, when they got together. Yeah, so they spun off from this Wild Bunch crew, heavily supported, actually, and backed by Nana Cherry. 
So she was instrumental in getting them signed to Circa Records prior to recording Blue Lines. Her husband, Cameron McVeigh, I think partner at the time, so he did a lot of work on the records, but the two of them together paid the wages in the early days of not just Massive Attack, but also Portishead and Tricky for his early solo work. So they were doing a lot of work to support bands in this scene and really paved the way for a lot of this trip-hop Bristol sound thing, which is amazing. Yeah, that is really cool. By the way, we should put on um, one of the greatest songs ever written in Buffalo Stance onto the playlist, mm. just because Nana Cherry's Buffalo Stance is one of the greatest well, songs We've named it now, ever, so, so it's, on, it's on the playlist. That's what yes. happens. She's also pretty instrumental in getting them to have a, an actual work ethic. So Daddy G explained to The Observer that, and I quote, we were lazy Bristol twats. It was Nana Cherry who kicked our asses and got us into the studio. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So she really deserves a lot of credit for all of the stuff that happened in this scene or at least a lot of the stuff that happened in this scene and i'd never heard her name even linked to the trip hop scene in the past so i don't know whether that's just me being ignorant or whether there just isn't the credit given there that there should be yeah maybe just her solo career kind of overshadowed it and that's what people know her for yeah maybe but you're right i did not know anything like that i mean She's got kind of tens of millions of listens on her solo album. So people do know her as an individual artist. So I guess that's why the Massive Attack work is overshadowed. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I just feel like it's worth it's worth mentioning. It definitely yeah, comes up multiple times in different interviews with the band, but more in the early days than later on. Uh, so 1995, Tricky had left the collective to pursue his solo career and... 1998-1999 when they were recording Mezzanine this recording was just it, it didn't go well for them there was a lot of disagreements a lot of stuff going on and Vols departed basically after it completed they did one tour where he was part of that and then then he decided to leave and part of this is down to the fact that when you listen to Blue Lines and when you listen to Protection you can hear this real beautiful, soulful, urban vibe in both yeah. of those albums. It's a lot of keyboards, it's quite a lot of sampling. It's beautiful and chilled and and not necessarily uplifting in terms of upbeat uplifting, but it's quite peaceful and beautiful. And Vols wanted to continue doing that kind of sound and creating things in that vein. But Del Nair and Marshall wanted to go down much darker roads and, and get edgier with their sound. And this was partly inspired by the post-punk that Del Nair had been listening to in his teens. And he was creating demos that Marshall and Vols were then adding drum loops and, and bass to. But it was not a smooth process in how this was working. Uh, apparently there was a quote from the studio that Vols is alleged to have angrily asked, are we a fucking punk band now of the others? It's, I mean, you make a great point because if you listen to the end of Blue Lines, like the last song on there, which is uh, Him of the Big Wheel, that is uplifting. It's this mm. kind of, it's a, it's a cracking song. But then, yeah, then you kind of get skipped forward to, to Mezzanine and, you know, there's been references to like Nine Inch Nails and that kind of almost industrial metal floating around on there, which is completely different. I think from, from my perspective, I've listened to 
blue lines and protection recently obviously in in preparation for this and one thing that struck me is that it has almost more in common with the groove armadas of the world yeah whereas this album has much more in common with the you know the darker side of things like the portis heads that they obviously get compared with because of location and and a time when they were both bringing out albums yeah and, and my impressive you say massive attack my my thought of them is that kind of that darker kind of slightly paranoid claustrophobic side yeah yeah and paranoid is a great word we'll we'll come back to that so i found a really fascinating interview with the album's producer neil davidge from a a website called sound on sound Mm. and it's really interesting because he's sort of in the middle of all this storm and chaos and actually his work on mezzanine brought him and 3d very close together and actually meant that he ended up sort of supplanting voles in the group itself so in the collective and being instrumental across the the albums that came after this one but yeah there's there's a great quote about how fractious it all was and how difficult it made his life which is mezzanine was a pretty sketchy album in terms of the way we worked because the band were not getting on so i'd be in the studio working with one of the members and someone else would come in then the person i'd been working with would leave and i'd have to change the track i was working on because they didn't want to work on that track they wanted to work on something different sometimes i'd be working on perhaps four different tracks in one day which is a pretty messy way to work yeah i I saw that I, i saw the same quote and it's it's kind of fascinating that it's almost it's almost working by stealth. You kind of just it isn't a band, is it? it? It kind of almost does fit in with your collective comment, where it's 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 almost a disparate group of people coming together. And I think they did work much more collaboratively on the first two albums, but at this point, most of this is being driven by Del Naya coming in with with all these cut together initial demos that the others are then taking on and doing stuff with so del Nair is becoming the driving force yeah and marshall is more on his side than vols in terms of of how that's going and you can see this starting to grate with vols based on some of the stuff that happened and davidge almost coming in and bringing his own ideas and trying to bring everything together he's the one who's I guess he gets credit for being the producer on this album, but a lot of the final pieces are often everybody else has put their input in and their work in, and he's the one having to sort of try and zero in on the centre ground between all of these different directions that he's getting pushed in. True. My favourite story of the whole thing is one of the biggest fights was over Teardrop. Mm -hmm. Del Naira and Marshall wanted Liz Fraser on vocals and one obviously uh, given that that's that's who the vocalist is on yeah. on the album on the track and she'd written the lyrics for it and recorded an early demo which was called at the time no don't and what happened was the collective got a message or a phone call almost out of the blue from madonna's representation saying she loved the track and she'd be delighted to use it wow and what had happened was someone and i don't know that it's ever been fully confirmed but it's pretty obviously voles from all of the articles and he's named as being the person who did this but some of the articles say it's never been fully confirmed yeah, okay but basically someone had sent this initial demo to madonna's people she'd had listened to it loved it obviously i mean it's just a beautiful piece of work and 
had come back and said, yeah, this is great. And Del Nia was obviously livid that Vols had gone behind his back and, and sent this off to these people without even asking and said no. And Vols was furious that they'd said no to the idea of having Madonna on this on this track. Sure. So this caused a massive, massive fallout to the point where even in recent interview with The Guardian, Del Nia avoided discussing it and basically said... I guess that's what I remember of Mezzanine. It was a proper struggle, but wouldn't go into any details. Davidge is the one that you get most of the detail out of because obviously he's he's close with the group's members now, but at the time he was, I guess, more of a neutral figure. Yeah. But what happened was because that happened, they decided they needed to ditch everything that Vols had worked on because they were concerned that Madonna's team had an early cut and they might use it for a thing so they needed to create something new without Vols's input so over the course of the evening after that argument happening there's another quote we had the harpsichord part that I'd written and Liz's vocals I said let's just get rid of everything else pretty much we did the piano stuff pulled in some different beats and basically put together a whole new version of the track that day which is the basis of what we finally released no there was a fair amount more work that we did on it but that was the foundation of the album version that we hear today that's fascinating because some of the I think the beauty of that track is that it is is quite there's not much to it there's there's mm. th- there is that that backing beat and there's the vocals and 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 there's yeah there's there's not much else there's the riff which is is beautiful but i didn't know that that's come out of madonna and and her her interest in all this yeah exactly eventually other tracks came together there are stories of del naya tinkering late into the day of this album release date in fact they missed the original release date it was supposed to be released towards the end of the year before and they were just being perfectionists couldn't come to decisions Davidge says literally the final mixes were going down and we were saying no stop try this instead that's why i wouldn't say that any of those tracks are necessarily finished we just stopped at that particular point which again is fascinating that they don't even consider the album or at least he doesn't consider the album to be a finished product yeah that's strange because it sounds finished that's exactly my take on it is i love it i wouldn't want anything changed but i can understand with all the layering and depth that there is going on there that you could have people that want to just i'll add another thing here add another thing there sprinkle some stuff on the top of it which i guess in some ways that's almost a a surprise because the level of production on this is is quite high it's it's well produced and there's as you say there's there's layering to it so Mm. for it to not be a finished article you almost wonder whether you always talk about painters painting a picture and then overpainting and painting too much and yeah. messing it up and you can't go backwards and you wonder whether by not going too far they've created this real piece of art yeah and it's one of those things of it's it's not that they knew when to stop it's that they were forced to stop and just release the bloody thing but when it was released it entered the uk chart at number one in april 98 and was certified platinum five months later yeah which is testament to the good work that they've done yeah and the other thing i think that that highlights is the fact that while we think of trip hop and the bristol scene to be underground as a scene it really wasn't it was pretty mainstream in terms of album sales and recognition yeah we should talk about the album cover we've started doing this quite a lot but this one is super super recognizable this is the the beetle right yes so 
from Long Live Vinyl who do some interesting coverage of album covers and where they come from. The album cover was a result of a collaboration between Del Naya, art director Tom Hingston and fashion photographer Nick Knight, who you might have heard of. He's a pretty famous guy. Mm. Apparently Del Naya had become fascinated by spiders and had been dreaming vividly of arachnids and the patterns on the backs of arachnids. Okay. And this led to them shooting the black stag beetle that you see against a pure white background at the Natural History Museum in London. And Del Naya talks about it being, and I quote, a chrysalis moment where we were just trying to emerge as something different. We wanted to firmly establish our own identity, and I think Mezzanine was the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and it's another iconic album. It's another one where you see it lying on a table. You know what that is. You know it's you know it's Mezzanine. That's exactly it. It's so eye-catching, and it's fantastic. I mean, we've talked about art in the music. This is art in the album cover. It is genuinely a fantastic photo. And it is a piece of art that matches the music that's inside the album. Yes, yes, agreed. So how did you come across Massive Attack? When did you first get get to hear them? Yeah, that's a good question. I was trying to actually work this out, and I've narrowed it down to a handful of possibilities because I don't have... Unlike when we've talked about other bands in the past where I know very specifically the moment when I heard them, these guys sort of were enmeshed into my my life in late sick form mm-hmm. so 98 99 when the album was out the options are the matrix soundtrack so dissolved girl is on there okay i'd already heard sneaker pimp six underground which had piqued my interest in this sort of vibe and sound and it might have been on xfm but i also think it might have been down to uh, an old school friend dave who at a house party would put on things like Massive Attack and Portishead and that kind of stuff. So equally, it could have been down to him introducing them to me as well. Because I would have thought, I mean, for me, it was um, Unfinished Empathy, which was, I mean, that came out, what, 91, 92? But that was quite Mm -hmm. mainstream. So that's a fairly big song, which was in the charts, I think. Maybe that was on the radio as well. I would have heard that before but it definitely wasn't the thing that hooked me into them. It wasn't a moment of, Got it. oh, this is amazing. I would have just heard it on the radio a number of times and enjoyed it, but not thought twice about who it was. Gotcha. Whereas Mezzanine definitely hooked me in. I bought the album. I listened to it loads. It, it was definitely my entry point to these guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that's the background. Let's go into the album, but before we go into tracks... Mm. Give me your impression of the the sound of Mezzanine for people that don't know what this album is about. That's a great call because it's super claustrophobic. You've already said paranoid. It's all very oppressive and deep and dark and there's bass lines that push everything along and just so much going on that just feels really intimate but in a not good way. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't know what it is about that kind of sound, but it's it's so good. One thing that I was thinking was, thematically, this sounds like it could be a soundtrack for a film, the whole album. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's down to the fact that they like film soundtracks. So we've talked about bands in the past that like films and soundtracks and that kind of stuff. And so their sound takes a lot of influence there. Or it could be that 
so many songs from here have been used on films on tv we've already mentioned teardrop that got used on the house opening theme tune for for the whole of that series run i can't find out whether it's one or the other yeah but in my head there's so much of that vibe to it yeah it's it's cause and effect isn't it i my my gut feel is that they've just been so influential that this sound is has just gone into the mainstream right and it's so recognizable that that's how it's become famous yeah and there's so much in here that you could listen to this and think of it soundtracking i don't know the girl with the dragon tattoo it's got that sort of slightly oppressive dark dingy edgy vibe to it that would go well with a film like that yeah and and i can imagine from what you've just said and this is the paradox which i just can't quite explain in my head either is that you explain this this oppressive sound and it's kind of it is the music got you in a bit of a grip but it's wonderful to listen to and i can't quite explain how music that sounds so it's got that edge can also be really worthwhile to listen to because some people will be listening going, oh, I, I don't like the sound of this but, right it, but it draws you in i guess there's a lot of human emotion in here and i think maybe the all the fractious stuff that was going on during the recording has influenced how that comes across like it's very human for a for an album that's cut together from a lot of samples and electric drum beats and synths it's it's got a very human core to it and before we do dive in that for me was almost too raw like in the late 90s when i was uh, listening to to music i was enjoying my kind of emotion being let out pogoing across a stage shouting whereas <laughs> this is a bit more it's much more direct and it's much more serious and i couldn't quite take it because it was a little bit too it was a bit too straight laced and i kind of i shied away from it which i think a lot of people in the punk scene did yeah you're not jumping up and down in front of a stage to this music you're putting on an incredibly brilliant pair of headphones and sitting in a darkened room listening to it yeah it's a bit more grown up than than kind of the punk pop that was all over the airwaves back then yeah agreed so i'm going to start with angel yes because <laughs> where the hell else would you start we say this a lot on the podcast but this is a tone setter for the album is it not absolutely it's got a a very distinctive rhythm to it the clarity of the sound and the clarity of the production you know exactly who you're dealing with as soon as you hear this first song yeah and it is supremely dark and heavy from the outset the ominous bass line that fades in with the looped electronic beat and that shimmering angular guitar over the top is just wonderful and this is another thing this album has brought a lot more guitars to their sound than they've ever had in the past and that's got to be that post-punk thing that's that's coming from del naya yeah it is uh, and the you mentioned the bass that bass later in the song where it just it just stomps on you in a in a wonderful way so yeah yeah it's it's a great opener and not just when it stomps on you the quiet moment around the two minute mark that happens just before that crunching explosion of guitars and bass it's uh, it's just incredible yeah i mean this is one for one for a, a live performance which we'll come on to later yeah agreed the vocals when they come in they do bring more luscious layers here but none of this ever moves beyond that initial paranoid sound yeah as you say it's the kind of 
a nice big banner that shows up and says, this is Massive Attack. This is this is the sound of the album. I mean, they go off on down different roads in the album, but really this is the core sound. Yep. And Rising Sun, Rising Sun, Rising Sun, never quite sure which it is on here. It's all one word. Yeah. This doesn't get any less paranoid or heavy. The heavily processed, what sounds like wolf howls or bird cries gives way to heavy bass and electronic scratchy fuzziness you mentioned industrial electronic or an industrial rock earlier there's a lot of that edge to it where it's it's not smooth beautiful pretty synth here this is angry edgy furious noise yeah i mean edgy spot on you can you can almost see that kind of industrial landscape in your head when this is playing and yeah yeah scary really <laughs> i love the interplay of del Naya and marshall's vocals in here yeah it's a good point the, the the vocals are shared they don't seem to have a lead singer really not really no and the use of guest vocalists throughout the album as well as is a feature of this it's not mostly these guys it's actually not even much these guys at times yeah there's a couple of interesting notes that i made on this in terms of this uses a sample from the Velvet Underground. Okay. So I found a reason, and this is the first song that they completed off the album. The use of that sample on this first completed song clearly signposts towards this new direction. But yeah, it's it's got, I think, lyrics that have been lifted from other places as well. Only an odd line here or there as well, but I do like that nod towards it, other influences. Yeah, I would never have put a Velvet Underground influence in this, but that's cool. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Yeah, so we you mentioned guest vocals briefly. I guess that kind of segues into the next track, which is one of the biggest ones, which is Teardrops. Yes. So, I mean, we already talked about this in terms of the story behind it, but I mean, I, I love this. This probably is the track that pulled me into the album as a whole the juxtaposition of delicate harpsichord and vocals against huge rounded piano and thudding bass is marvelous yeah this is we do have this sometimes on the podcast where you get a song that's so so big and so good it's kind of quite it's quite hard to kind of put into words how how good it is unless you just go and listen to it yeah yes it is one of those go listen to this then come back to us moments of the podcast isn't it yeah and everyone will know this i mean people who have never heard a massive attack this is on telly it's on the radio it's it's still everywhere i think even now you'll find cultural references to it popping around yeah it's so supremely important in terms of 90s music 90s culture impact on the mainstream yeah you're right every everyone will know this everyone will have heard this at some point yeah and although it has some heaviness to it it's less heavy than the previous two tracks it eases that up and brings a little bit of light to the dark yes yeah light rather than hope but light is the right (laughs) word Um, (laughs) yeah it's not a massively hopeful track is it no um no but it is beautiful And, and the vocals so i read that liz fraser she recorded this on the day that Jeff Buckley drowned. Oh wow! And she was told about that. Now, I uh, somewhere it said they they had a relationship. I'm not sure how, you know, how, how close that was or what their relationship exactly was. But it was recorded over a couple of days, and, and some of this track is put down when she found this out. So she ha- actually had to leave the room, or she told everyone to 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 leave 
they put on a 16 track just a beat and she just recorded these vocals with that news of of him drowning oh wow in her head so if you if you wonder why there's emotion there or if you wonder how she's got that that's that's completely real emotion and that's in a studio which is just empty it's just her and a microphone well i do remember reading a thing with del Nia talking about i think it was del Nia talking about the fact that liz fraser despite being someone who's recorded a lot of music done a lot of shows doesn't really like singing in front of people and so that was part of the reason behind why they would leave her in the studio by herself to do those vocals because she was then less self-conscious about what she was doing yeah if there's an emotional moment like that then it it makes more sense just uh just for the playlist again if you don't know who jeff buckley is please listen to hallelujah (laughs) if it's 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 one of the greatest songs ever sung just as a vocal performance it's outstanding go and find it yes uh, agreed it's 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 all right that one (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna jump straight to inertia creeps next track what a brilliant song you know what i was thinking about this when i first um saw the album or when i first knew we were talking about it and instantly my brain said teardrop is the best song but i don't know actually i think this this might be a a good challenger really that's interesting because for me it is i mean they're all brilliant songs i could easily do a track by track on this album every track i absolutely love there's nothing there is literally no filler on this album it's all incredible i don't know that inertia creeps would be one that i would pick out as one of those oh my god this is the best track on the album but it's great it's more anxiety the music on here was inspired by obviously Turkish music that Del Nair had found on a trip to Istanbul. He came back with a bunch of tapes and okay. started playing them to the others and being like, we're going to sample some of this stuff and use this on this track. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it's just got this momentum that I really like. It's a little bit faster. It's a little bit more urgent. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. It's a bit dancey. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's got that little shuffle to it, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and then exchange this is one of those wonderful tracks that allows albums like this not to become suffocating it's a moment to break above the surface and breathe and i love it for that D- you know, yeah you know what if this song didn't exist on the album it would probably be too much but you can put mezzanine on and as you say you kind of even if you're not consciously listening to this album exchange allows your brain just to chill out a bit yep just to take a moment and then we dive straight back in with Dissolved Girl. <laughs> I bloody love this track. It's again that mix of delicate vocals with pounding bass. Yeah, this is, I don't know, for me it's just a bit too creepy. Oh, I love it, that it, though. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's dark. Well, Sarah J, who is the vocalist on this, Massive Attack's manager Mark Picken found her at some gig in Sheffield. She was basically unknown. I love her delivery on this. There's something almost sensual. There's an aching soulfulness about it. And the lyrics are just, they just grab you. Fade, made to fade, passion's overrated anyway. Say, say my name, I need a little love to ease the pain. It's it's dark, man. Yeah, 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 it is. And the, the content and how she delivers it, just it just grabs you and pulls you in all the vocals on this album are are very very well done Mm. agreed 
Uh, Man Next Door. Got to cover Man Next Door because it's a cover. We are doing <laughs> Is it? Yes. It was originally written by John Holt. It's a lovely but pretty standard reggae track about a noisy neighbour. A massive attack of taking it to a dark and moody place. And I love that. You know, oh, damn. I, I, I wish I'd known that before because... I would be really keen to know what the original sounds like. It's on the playlist if you lot want to listen to it. Have you heard it? I have. I had to listen to it. It's it's nice. It's a nice sort of... If you heard a bunch of reggae, you wouldn't necessarily pick it out as a standout track, but it's pretty and nice and lovely. Got it. So probably quite different to the way this sounds. Yeah. You can, you can hear it. You can hear the original in this, but it's very different yeah, yeah cool i already mentioned i could do this as a track by track so we should probably skip to <laughs> the end of the album it, yeah. and that is not because the quality drops later in the album it's relentlessly brilliant but this is going to be a long podcast if i talk about every single track so <laughs> let's jump to in brackets exchange again the final song yeah because yeah. it's a revisit of the earlier track that we just mentioned this time it's with lyrics so the track itself has that same airy lightness moment to breathe moment to come back up and resurface but there's some paranoia lurking in the lyrics this time so you see a man's face but you don't see his heart you see a man's face but you'll never know his thoughts yeah i i love this song it's really good and it's nice that you still hear the music from exchange which is a lovely part of the album yeah but it builds on it and almost builds it out into a proper song which makes it weird that this is the bracketed one because mm. this is almost the more fuller track yeah yeah i agreed i agree but i also like the fact that they have not shied away from doing something a bit unusual in terms of a split track like this yeah i can't think of many albums that have split tracks split songs oasis weirdly the i can't remember what it's called officially but it's the one that's not not track listed on what's the story yeah and they put the whole thing on the master plan uh yeah oh the swamp song yes that's the one so yeah that's slightly unusual touch but i do like the idea of revisiting something in that way yeah what a lovely way to end the album yes agreed we do need to have a chat about some of their other back catalog though yeah because i don't know about you but after i heard mezzanine i went backwards yeah yeah i did too talk to me about protection because it's an album for me which kind of passed me by and i've listened to it and i don't quite get into it so i really like protection i think it's a more relaxing album it's a nice slightly more backgroundy album and people will probably shout at me for saying that but it's the kind of thing that i can put on while i'm doing something else just to keep the bit of my brain that always wants to be listening to music happy that's exactly why i don't like it so much because it's a backgroundy <laughs> album and and i get it you can it can just sit in the background and float along and i just don't connect with it as much but there are some fantastic tracks on there and protection itself as a track is brilliant karma coma is also amazing and those are the obvious two choices from that yeah. album but also uh, spying glass and three are fantastic tracks mm -hmm. i do think the quality is not quite as relentless as it is on mezzanine which is why i prefer mezzanine and it's not as dark and insular claustrophobic all the things that i love about this album yeah um we should talk about blue lines because oh. i'm sure we'll get people who will make a very strong case for why Blue Lines is their best album. And they would be completely valid in putting forward that argument. And, um, you know, on a different day, 
we might have picked Blue Lines, I guess. But um, yep. what it's a brilliant album. It's very it's very different to Mezzanine. It is, but it's also you can hear that. I'm guessing much more of Vols's influence in terms of the more urban, less dark to an extent. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this. I mean, if you listen to this, the style, I mean, straight from Safe From Harm, the opening track, mm-hmm. it's got this kind of 90s beat, which I think has been replicated a lot. It's It's almost like they've taken a little bottle of a brilliance in this album which so many other bands copy through the 90s like when you think of so many 90s spin-off artists who weren't as quite as good as this but would appear on something like top of the pops yeah and they'd have this kind of a sound where you've got the kind of not quite dance but this kind of this this kind of fairly fast rhythm and then maybe some reggae or some some spoken word or some rap over the top. It, it's a formula that's been repeated over and over again through the 90s. And I think I think Massive Attack were probably one of the first to do it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And Safe From Harm is an incredible track. And you can think of a bunch of, like say, 93, 94 trip-hop dance collectives around that yeah. time that were doing this kind of stuff. I never felt like they did it with the same level of soul and soulfulness yeah. that you get in this album. You've already mentioned Unfinished Sympathy, but holy crap, what a brilliant track that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a belter and it's got it's actually got that kind of edgy paranoid influence creeping in from mm-hmm. the side, which you get back in mezzanine. Yes. The strings on here, I think, are the thing that really grabbed me. And the vocal yeah. again, the vocals, the female vocals on here are just incredible. And almost the way it's an yeah. echo in the background more than it is in the foreground a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean this this for me is is an album which really stands up. It's probably not my cup of tea. It wasn't my cup of tea at the time, but it's a great album. Did you already mention Hymn of the Big Wheel, the closing track? I think you I, did. I just I briefly mentioned it to explain how I guess uplifting it sounds. Because this is equally one of my favourite tracks on this album. I, I love how beautiful it is. It's it's one of those summer day in a song type tracks. I would say it's in it's in my top three massive attacks. Really, of all time, I love it. I love it a lot. I don't know that I would put it. The problem is it's so different to mezzanine, so I find it really difficult yeah. to compare Blue Lines and Mezzanine, and I don't think they should be compared because I feel like they they're slightly different eras and definitely different vibes. Yeah. But ah oh, yes, it's so so good. Yeah, I don't know the 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 thing the, the lyric where it says one man struggles while another relaxes <laughs> is just this um it's this kind of uh, it's a very simple way of putting into words kind of life's difficulties. I mean, we should probably touch on Massive Attack's political stance. I mean, all the way through, they've really. St- I mean, it's a classic Bristol thing, isn't isn't it? Bristol's quite good at. <laughs> tipping statues into harbours and uh, protesting about stuff. And, and they've always stood up for what they felt is right, whether it's kind of environmental or political or, you know, they've, they've really tried to come forward with a voice on that. Yeah, it's a city that genuinely feels we're all in this together and we should try and be kind and loving with each other. And that sounds properly hippie, but that is <laughs> part of the reason why I love Bristol. It's it's a it's a hippie city. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, they they are quite a political outfit generally. But I lost track and interest after Mezzanine. I don't know whether you listened to any of the albums much after this. The, the fact that I'm now having to look up <laughs> look up their discography <laughs> to find out what the hell came after Mezzanine says it all. So in short summary, no, not really. So 100th Window came next. Fine, which um, I'm trying to even look at songs that I recognise and, and that, I think that's the point. I, I, I didn't really follow it. I didn't either. I, I felt like maybe it's so hard to recreate something like mezzanine because you can't recreate working in such a destructive way because you just tear the rest of the the group apart yeah. if you ever tried to work like that ever again yeah so yeah i i don't know i'm i'm not worried that i haven't caught up on all that stuff they created a, a masterpiece in mezzanine and i'm happy to have yeah. stopped listening at that point Right, and they inspired so many other bands around them. You talked about Portishead, they're all in that, and I don't know whether they were inspiring each other or one was inspired by the other, but you can absolutely hear a bunch of Portishead in Massive Attack and vice versa yeah. if, if you're into that scene. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many. Zero Seven, Sneaker mm-hmm. Pimps, like, like all that kind of style. It's uh, Yeah. yeah. Mochiba, yeah. Groove Armada. Yeah, exactly. Lots of that kind of stuff maybe even bits of dj shadow i got into some of his stuff i don't know it nearly as well as i should do but if you haven't heard blood on the motorway go and listen to it it's incredible uh i've been listening to a lot of dj shadow recently go, go and have a listen or watch the video to nobody speak okay it's uh it was filmed um random factoid i'm not entirely sure where i picked it up from but it was filmed <laughs> in ukraine in okay. kiev and Every single person in that video, even though it's American and it's sung in American, is Ukrainian, apart from one guy, the, the bull guy with the glasses. Okay. But it's basically uh, it, what seems like a kind of UN summit and they all have a fight. I digress on DJ Shadow, but definitely <laughs> worth a listen. Nice. What about you? Did you get any inspiration from these guys? I mean, I got into all of those kind of bands because of this kind of stuff. I think Portis had I got into them around the same time. It was a big thing at school because obviously we're, you know, we were only a few miles down the road from Bristol. So that scene had kind of filtered probably into my friend's uh, elder siblings. And so it was in their record collection. So they'd bring the CDs in and the tapes and you'd listen to it. So influence that way. Yeah. Cool. Um, um, live. 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 <laughs> <laughs> We've seen them live. We know where we're going on this one. Both of us have, yeah. They did a 20th anniversary tour yeah. in 2018 of this. Uh, it was designed by Del Nia. So they did a whole audio visual production. They reconstructed the music from the original samples and influences. He described it as the band's own personalised nostalgia nightmare head trip, which is... Yeah, and and for everyone, it was a return to Bristol. Well, they toured it nationally, but they did a very specific Bristol show up at Filton. Yeah, and they built a kind of weird temporary hangar, this massive, I mean, an aircraft-sized hangar, which they filled with a stage of people. Well, I have now, having failed to do the research on this specifically got a snatch of a memory in in the back of my brain that suggests that they originally had agreed to do it in a hangar in Filton Aerodrome 
and then that didn't work out so they decided that rather than completely change all their plans they'd just build a temporary hangar what were your impressions of the gig i have mixed feelings about it if i'm <laughs> honest yep yep so there were moments of perfection and parts that i was entirely enthralled by but i also felt like they were trying to have a show with a message and at times that felt like it overshadowed what they were doing with the music and was a bit jarring and i also thought the sound wasn't great the sound was and i'm guessing because it was close to residential areas that they had to turn it down a little bit it felt like it was yeah the the sound it, it felt quieter than expected you want to have the music stomping on your head at a massive attack gig yeah and it was not stomping around yeah particularly with that album you want it to feel claustrophobic you want it to really be in your head not being played at your face if that yeah. makes sense like when we were talking about the bass lines for angel you want your pints to be vibrating you want to see that yes. kind of like jurassic park style quivering when when that kicks in and that wasn't happening and we weren't far back we were i mean we were on the side a bit but we were definitely what maybe yeah. a, a quarter or a third of the way back from the front yeah and i think your point about the the message that they were trying to portray as well i think i think you're right it was a it felt a little bit like look at us now we're still relevant rather than what most people were there for which is go and play the old stuff and do it really well yeah i think if i went to see a massive attack gig that was their recent stuff whatever i would be perfectly happy with the political challenging message all that kind of stuff but when it's a a retrospective throwback to an album that was released 20 years ago i just want to soak in the brilliance of the album and not have to have like a, a brain challenge at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah exa- yeah exa- that's exactly it that's exactly my thought too so yeah yeah spot on but i do not regret buying tickets and going it it was a fantastic gig it just wasn't maybe quite at the heights i thought it should have been and maybe i built it up in my head too much yeah definitely worth worth going and if you've not seen them live they do have a good they've got a presence they they do have guitars and drums and mm-hmm. things on stage which you might not expect for a band which is so electronic but it's they're definitely worth going to see yeah i i would well i guess it depends on even when they bring out a new album whether i connect with the album as to whether i go and see them yeah. i do think there'd be an issue of if they came out with a new album and toured it tickets would be horrendously expensive and so i'd really really have to want to go yeah. to see them Let's look back into the past. They've they've delivered brilliance, um, and it's been well worth a yeah, well worth seeing. And, and uh, one of the major one or two names in a scene that was massively influential on UK culture and music from that point onwards, right? Trip hop. Totally. They they basically were one of the the groups that invented trip hop. Yeah, and in an interview about trip hop, the band hated it because it's they didn't like being, even though they kind of almost admitted that they invented it. They didn't like it because it pigeonholed them and they didn't want that. So it was their sound and it, they shouldn't be stuck in a trip-hop box. But you're right, they, they basically did invent the genre. Yeah, I mean, you can be bigger than the thing that you invented, but you still invented it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take um, some credit, guys. Yeah, so um, I, I think, uh, in summary, an excellent choice. Uh, I think you're right with the album. You've picked the, the best of the bunch. Um, so I completely agree with you. Uh, you oh, are good. not wrong. I'm pleased that it's not just me that's going to get shouted out over yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, come, come on, come at us if you think it <laughs> should be different. 
Uh, but yeah, good choice. Uh, thank you, buddy. That's a, that's a great one. Cheers, mate. I enjoyed that. And I'm going to be listening to it a fair bit over the next few months because it is just fantastic. And that's the other thing I should mention is this is an album that I go back to over and over and over and over again. And it has not been unplayed by me for more than probably nine months at any given point in the last 20 years. It doesn't age. It hasn't aged yet. Yeah, it is it is absolutely timeless and just brilliant. And yeah. for that, it deserves a place on our list and probably should have been done many, many podcast episodes ago. Yeah, well, we've got it now. Good stuff. Nice one. Cheers, mate. Cheers, dude. And thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.